Chris Bird was last seen at the DQ stables in Wyndham, New Hampshire on July 29, 1984. He had visited a friend's home to borrow a ladder at 3 p.m. that day. That was one of the last times that anyone had seen him. You are listening to Gone Cold, New Hampshire. I'm Mac Dunnan, and this is the case of Chris Bird. Not much is known about Chris Bird, but we do know that before he went missing, Bird was a teacher and formal principal in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Not exactly the type of person who you'd expect to vanish without a trace. Chris Bird, born November 12, 1958, was a white male in his mid-twenties. He was six feet tall and weighed around 180 pounds. He had brown hair and blue eyes. In a group of pictures online, we could see him in the 70s and 80s in what looks like to be a collection of yearbook photos. The most recent photo is from 1984. It is a black and white, very grainy photograph that shows Bird smiling with a large, jolly bearded face. He looked like a fairly happy person. Bird was reported missing by his wife, Donna Bird, on July 30, 1984. A few days later, on August 3rd, Bird's tan 1974 Mercury Comet was found abandoned in the Methuen Mall parking lot in Massachusetts. Both of its rear tires were flat, but there was never an explanation for why they were flat or who deflated them. Donna Bird told Massachusetts State Police that her husband and a guy by the name of Richard Brunt left on a camping trip four days earlier. She said the two had been friends and worked together at the school for about seven months. Brunt was the last person to report seeing him alive. This is where the story gets interesting. Chris Bird's friend Richard Brunt had a very lengthy and complicated past. He had many run-ins with the police. Some charges were dropped, but eventually he ended up in jail. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. I was able to reach out to Richard Brunt's attorney, Mark Sisti, for an interview. Mark Sisti is a well-known criminal defense attorney based out of Concord in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, who worked with Brunt on his 1999 New Hampshire rape case. I asked general questions about Brunt and his relationship with Chris Bird to try to establish a better idea of what kind of person he was and what he did in the past. Like I said, his criminal past is complicated. This is what I learned from Sisti. All right. Um, so I was wondering what you could tell me about Richard Brunt and if you could describe what kind of person he was. Well, when, it, when I first met him, it was because there was, I believe, some state troopers down in Lakeland, Florida. Um, and uh, they were basically uh, questioning him or wanted him for questioning in some way, shape, or form. I was contacted by his son and retained uh, by the family at that point. Um, there, we, I went down to visit him. He was incarcerated in Polk County, at the jail in Polk County. Uh, I met him for the first time uh, in that setting and uh, got a got a good feeling as to where this thing was going and what the allegations were. Um, at the time, there was an alleged uh, rape in uh, Manchester. It was a, uh, 
an allegation that uh, they claimed had taken place years prior to this arrest. And uh, there was also an investigation on a cold case, um, murder case. Um, and that's what I knew when I went down to visit with him in Polk County. Okay. Um, what do you know about the relationship between Chris Bird and Richard? Well, I don't really know anything personally, but I mean, I've, I've certainly uh, read through everything that was given to me um, by the police and uh, certainly any and all things that were relayed to me uh, by my client. Um, there was some uh, give and take and some exchange from what I understand uh, concerning antiques. Um, there were a few things going on with regard to that. I, um, there was a teaching uh, relationship, uh, some professional or semi-professional relationship in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and I know Brunt had a significant criminal, uh, criminal past including a conviction for manslaughter in Florida. Um, do you know if there's a way that we can be sure that he's not connected with the disappearance of Chris Bird? Well, I mean, let's, let's go back to your initial question. He had one uh, conviction. Uh, the conviction was in Florida. The sentence was extremely light. It was almost akin to a, a self-defense type of, of a case. Uh, he was released promptly after he did the most minimum of minimum sentences. He had no other uh, run-ins. He, um, quite frankly, left led a, a fairly uh, boring, uh, you know, non-confrontational life. Um, his neighbors all knew him in, in Lakeland um, when he was in that area. He dabbled in real estate uh, without any problems in Florida. Um, there were no complaints with regard to him. Uh, him and his son actually were doing quite well in that business. And, uh, you know, this thing came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, how do you prove somebody's innocence? Um, fortunately, our Constitution and our, our, our codes and our criminal codes uh, don't force a burden on any individual to prove their innocence. The real right. question is, why in the world were they even thinking that he had anything to do with it since they had no physical evidence? So they had no scientific evidence, and they had no, no witnesses to sustain their particular burden of proof. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I, how does anybody prove their innocence? After hearing Mark Sisti's statement, I had a whole new perspective on Brunt and a whole new list of questions surrounding his life. I began digging around more files looking for information on his past convictions. And although I did not find much information, the details that I found were shocking to say the least. Sheriff's detectives in New Hampshire say between June 1999 and June 2000, Richard Brunt committed five counts of aggravated felonious sexual assault. According to an indictment, he raped a man and sodomized him with a shovel and rake candle. Brunt also served 10 years in prison in Florida for manslaughter after pleading no contest to charges that he fatally stabbed his roommate after the roommate announced he was moving out. How could someone have led what looked like a normal life 
and successful life with all those heinous crimes looming in their past and for a good portion of the time actively teaching students. All this suggests more and more to the possibility that Richard Brunt had something to do with Chris Bird's death, but to this day, no one has ever found Chris Bird's body. Earlier, Sisteve mentioned that there may have been a disagreement about antiques. That is another piece of this story where there's a detail, but no explanation and no one around to elaborate on it. With cases like Chris Bird's where no body is found, it is usually harder for detectives to determine what happened because of the lack of DNA. I contacted Chelsea Hanneran. She is involved with the Redgrave Research Forensic Services, which works in conjunction with the law enforcement to use forensic and genetic genealogy to restore identities of the nameless and provide answers to unsolved crimes. I met with her to ask questions about the case. I was wondering, um, what kind of challenges do investigators face when they're going through cases like the ones that involve Chris Bird? So, in this case, as if it's a missing person, um, I mean, obviously one of the problems is that, you know, they have a suspect, um, they have a pretty good indication that, you know, he has a propensity to, towards violence. Um, but there's no body, so it's like uh, what they call corpus delecti, like no body, no crime. Um, so if they can't prove anyone anything, and they they don't necessarily have any you know physical evidence, DNA, anything like linking him to that, then there's not much of a crime that they can bring. They can only bring up these sort of past convictions that he had and, and infer the case. Um, if someone were to come out now with the experience of time, although I think Richard Brent just recently died, maybe, yeah. um, you know, that's another point, though, is that, you know, sometimes when people do die, this might be, you know, when a son or a wife will come out of the woodwork and, and say, okay, maybe they made that confession or maybe they said some things that I've been holding back. Um, and, and you can get closure on that. But if there's not really like a, DNA profile or something that's linking that person, if that person just decides to never open their mouth about it, it's extremely difficult. I then asked her about her thoughts on whether this crime would be easier to solve today versus 1984. Oh yeah, I think so. I think at least, um, you know, if they found, um, you know, Chris Bird's car at the Methuen Mall, they would have taken it and processed it probably. That would have been one of the first leads. I think I'm remembering correctly that they went on a camping trip and Richard Brent just kind of said, hey, I dropped him off someplace and that was the last I saw of him. Right, yeah. um, right now, like, I mean, if that happened and they were looking for a lead, they would take the car into possession. They'd, they'd process it, go over it, see if there's anything. Um, there's recently been a case in New Hampshire um, that you might have heard of that Harmony Montgomery case where they went into the apartment um, and they, you know, processed that and they were able to find from, like, the physical evidence in there that she's probably no longer alive. So there's sometimes indicators like that that will be, you know, in the car. If they found a large amount of, like, blood or something that was cleaned up, then they kind of have an indication that he's probably on, <laughs> you know, probably on the right track. Um, right. There's a lot of, like, things that, you know, you when you're looking back at these cases that you're like, oh, if they had just, like, collected that or, like, knew to take a picture of that or, like, knew to ask this question, it would have been completely different. But you, you know, can't blame people for not necessarily knowing, like, the trajectory of science. Right, um, yeah. The other 
thing, and he didn't ask me this, but um, the other thing that I kind of think might have played a role in this one, and this, and this case is interesting because it almost seems like it was solvable, and, and to me it, it was weird that the, the family wasn't more vocal, and, he had a, and Chris Bird was married and he had a wife, and you can't find, at least from what I've looked at, any articles where she's saying anything like, oh, my husband, like, oh, bring him home. It's just like radio silence. Um, and so I'm wondering, just because I know that the man that Richard Brunt killed in Florida was his, they were in a relationship together. And although Richard Brunt then gets married and all these different things, I'm wondering if he... And Chris Burden, I don't want to speculate on that, but I'm just wondering if it's either the stigma attached to, you know, being gay in a time where it wasn't necessarily okay, especially as a teacher, um, that that might have, you know, played a part in the fact where everyone was just like, it's better to let this one go, maybe. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think I think the uh, the way that it looks, the, what's the word, the like implications of it would have been different today like it wouldn't have like played so much into it like a stereotype almost but yeah or just you know people saying like oh, I don't, we don't really want to poke this too much that. into yeah. it it's just not an understanding of what that is it's, right. it's easier to sell it as like two best buds like went camping and then right. one didn't yeah. come home even though this guy killed somebody else one time yeah. um and yeah the other the other thing and you just didn't ask me this, but I have an audience, um, is that I've wondered about some of the schools that Richard Brunt had taught at because he came back to New Hampshire and, like, got acquitted for this murder, and then he's teaching at another, like, random school in, like, Methuen, Mass., where it's like, okay... And then I kind of wondered, like, so are there other schools, places, where, like... I wonder how you slipped through the... Um system there and got hired again i don't know it's very odd that he you know comes back it's in the papers you can find article like he 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 actually like fled from florida to new hampshire and like checked himself into a hospital and then was arrested for the murder and then wasn't was acquitted of it or was acquitted of manslaughter i don't think he served any time and then he clearly made his way back up here and started being a principal again so i don't know if that like didn't make it or the records like weren't as good and they didn't check as much back in the day um but that's always been interesting to me and I've, I've always been interested to see or you know wondered if they're you know as time went on now that he's passed away if like any students might come out of the woodwork to be like oh this might have been like a you know an assault case or like inappropriate relationship case um but then I think the school that he taught at was, like, a very small Christian academy. So, again, like, the, the implications of, like, being homosexual in, like, 1984, like, maybe that's, that's probably not coming out. I don't know. The fact that Richard Brunt was gay was not the sole reason for my suspicion. However, I do think it could have influenced the way he acted towards men and men he liked. He had many violent interactions with men in his past, and this makes me think that he was responsible for Chris Bird's death and others. But as Sisti said earlier, there is no way to prove him guilty. 
I've been researching this case for months now with little to no luck on finding major turning points in the case. Due to the age of this case, many people have passed away. In my own research, I struggled to find articles, the obituary of Richard Brunt, family members, and investigators really are just not saying much. We have no information from Chris Bird's wife, and above all, no evidence of DNA or a body to tell us what happened to Chris Bird. So where does this case go now? Senior Assistant Attorney General Ben Agati, who oversees the cold case unit for the state of New Hampshire, says, time can make it harder to solve a case, but sometimes there is a breakthrough. Um, so things kind of rotate in and out depending on the information that they have. But they try to apply the best techniques and the best review of what's there to see is there something, maybe not that was missed, but is there something that's changed, something that's new, something that hasn't been thought of before, but could be done now. Just because this is one of the more difficult unsolved cases for the cold case unit doesn't mean it won't be able to be solved one day. Thank you to the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit for contributing information for this story. Thank you criminal defense attorney Mark Sisti and Chelsea Hanran, who is involved with the Red Grave Research Forensic Services. Music in this episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. On the next episode of Gone Cold New Hampshire, Kyle Dobry will discuss the murder of George Joden, a hardworking man who did a lot of work for real estate and his pawn shop, but in the end, his decisions would lead him toward a vicious death. Mm-hmm.